You're listening to The Good Faith, a podcast dedicated to applying historic Christian thinking to today's issues of faith, family, books, and culture. With your host, pastor, parent, and perpetual student of theology and culture, Chad Graham. Is there hope for the human race and for our world in general? I ask that question because we're so often confronted with horrible illustrations of evil and of great problems that can seem insurmountable. I was reading an article today about a refugee camp in North Africa, and it was just describing the wretched poverty and horrific condition of many of its inmates. And they did have hope that there might be an improvement, that there might be somewhere safe for them to go. But the reality is, they're going to face challenges no matter what. They don't have homes to go back to now. If they go to a new country, they have to break into a whole new culture and go through all the hoops that that takes. And in the end of the day, there's going to be another war. We also face natural disasters. It seems senseless. And when we think about ourselves, we also face troubles. You know, when I was young, early in my life, everything always and constantly looked up. I would look to the future and, and, and ask, what's next? I remember with youth sports, you would go and you would try out for a team, and if you didn't make that team, you knew that you were going to grow bigger and stronger, and if you work harder, you would be a better athlete the following year, and you might make that team. Later, you'd be thinking about going into a career and what field you wanted to go in, and you'd pursue whatever training or education might be necessary for that career, and you'd begin and try it, and if you didn't like it, start again. But there comes a time when no matter how hard you push your body, the returns are declining. You will not be a better athlete next year. There comes a time when you cannot start all over again. Now, don't get me wrong, hope springs eternal, and there are always opportunities to see things improve. Except when we look deep inside ourselves. There is a quote, usually attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, you must be the change you want to see in the world. And of course, there's a great deal of wisdom in that. But what if you are the problem? People struggle with all kinds of issues in broken relationships, in addictions, and in suffering. In so many ways, we cause a lot of the grief that we find ourselves in and the grief that is around us. Other times, we're completely the victims, and we can't do anything about it. We cannot change the world around us. No matter how hard we will it, we cannot will the universe to bow to our will. The scriptures report this, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, Micah 6, 8. What does it look like to do justice and to love mercy? Many scriptures might provide the answer, but Ezekiel has a very powerful statement. The prophet Ezekiel writes, Suppose there is a righteous man who does what is just and right. And then he describes him. He's one who doesn't oppress anyone, but returns what he took in pledge for a loan. He does not commit 
robbery, but gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing for the naked. What does this mean? Ezekiel seems to be saying that it is a robbery not to provide for the poor, at least in the context of Israel. The poor, Jesus said, will always be with us. It is an injustice that there are poor in the earth. And in all these thousands of years of human efforts, we have not ended poverty. What about the potential threats of climate change? I know that there is some level of disagreement on various elements of it. What parts are human-caused, what parts are naturally caused, how significant it actually is, and what its impacts might be. But yet we know, ignoring all of the debatable issues, that climates change. And as climate changes, we'll be put in danger, or potential danger, and hazards. What will we do then? What will we do when the very forces of nature, the things that we harness for our lives, the energy of the sun, the food that grows from the earth, no longer function in ways that we can harness? What will we do? This simply shows the limits of humankind. So we have injustice in the world. We have our own personal needs, our own personal decline, and our own personal search for hope for the future. And we also have a societal need for hope for the future. We need something bigger than us to provide a solution. How will we change ourselves? Is true change possible? How will we change our society? Is it feasible? How will we change the very nature of the universe? Is is that even conceivable? Well, the ancient message of Christianity is that yes, true change for the individual is possible, leading to immortality and health and happiness. True change for society is possible, leading to justice and wholeness and healing. And true change, even for nature, is possible leading to ultimate redemption. And all of this, the church understands, comes because the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, God of very God, became one of us. And for us, and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. God cares. I recently read a, 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 a horrific account on a Facebook post that spoke about something terrible happening to a child. And it postulated that God, throughout all history, has seen horrible things happening to children and has done nothing about it. And ultimately, this points, they believe, to one of two conclusions. Either there is no God, or if there is a God, he's either bad or unable to help. Well, the Christian message is that neither of these conclusions are true. That there is a God, that he is able to help, and he is helping. Now, this doesn't mean that bad and horrific things are not going to happen to individuals or society or to nature at the present time, and there is a reason for that. 
There is a reason why we need help. This is not the way God created the earth. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created everything good. In fact, very good. There was no evil. There was no death. There was no suffering. There was no injustice. There was no conflict. There was harmony. Now, things changed. Things changed because of a conflict with God. Some of the heavenly beings rebelled against God, in particular one, known in the Bible as Lucifer or the devil, or Satan, the great serpent of old. And he came to earth in order to solicit humanity to his cause. Now this makes sense in the Bible's point of view because the Bible addresses everything that has been made as created by God good. Humanity was given a purpose within this good creation to be God's image bearers, to represent him in the world and to complete his act of creation. God wanted and wants to work through us. He wants a true relationship with us. He wants a partnership with us. And that's how and why he created us so that we would complete his task and glorify him in making the world the way that he wanted it to be. But our first parents chose against God when the serpent came and tempted them and said, God has told you not to disobey him and eat of the forbidden fruit because he knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like him. You will be like God. You will be the one making the ultimate decisions. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose to listen to the serpent and to join his rebellion against God. And as a result of rejecting God, the source of life and hope and health and harmony, all of these bad things have happened. We tried to run the world our own way, but we failed to rule ourselves, or society, or the world. And God would be perfectly just to allow us to live in the fruits of our own failure. In fact, because we're rebels against Him, He would be perfectly just to punish us as traitors. And so the Bible's message is not that God just can't do anything about what is going on, but rather that God is doing something to fix a situation, but he's doing something without destroying us. I said earlier that we might be the problem. We can't be the change we want to see in the world because we have sin in our hearts. We are sinful beings. We are the ones who, although having a bountiful amount of resources, are still allowing there to be poor in the world. We are the ones who are creating wars and harming one another. We are the ones that continue to rebel against God and reject His ways and try to rule things our own way. And yet instead of turning to Him, we continue to reject Him and we push away any of those who suggest that we need to turn to God. We don't want Him except when things go bad, and then we say, hey, where was God? What an unfair question of us to ask. But here is where God was. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, made human. And for our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. 
But on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures and ascended into heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus has taken the penalty of treason upon himself, the penalty for sin upon himself, so that all who would ever hope and trust in him and recognize him as their Lord, seeking to live life his way and repenting or turning away from living sinfully our own way, can now be right with God, can be right with the source of life and hope and health and harmony. And in so doing, we begin to change. The scripture says that we are made the children of God, that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who begins to change us from within. And we enter into the fellowship of Christ's church, which supports and strengthens and nourishes us. And we begin to overcome <clears throat> those personal problems that we have. We see those who, the cause of all of these troubles, unrighteous, immoral, sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, we were drunkards, and all sorts of other things. But the scripture says, and such were some of you. But in salvation you were washed, you were sanctified, separated unto God, made holy, you were justified, made right with God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, We know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, but... Its subjection to that was not in futility, but in hope. Because in our salvation, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so the Christian message, the ancient Christian message, is not some old story, but something very relevant to today. To deal with the personal problems we have, the societal problems that we have, and the problems in the very nature of the universe. Faith means that we believe this and that we begin to live it as if it is so and we can now be the change we want to see in the world step by step. Thank you for listening to the Good Faith Podcast. For more episodes, related articles, and additional information, visit chadwgraham.com. For resources related to the topics in this podcast, or for more episodes, visit chadwgraham.com. There you'll find the Good Faith site, where I have uh, other writings in which I explore various things in faith, family, books, and culture in both audio and article resources. My quotations from the early church fathers come from the Ancient Christian Doctrine series, edited by Gerald Bray and Thomas Oden. The Nicene Creed is readily available online.
The music that we have been enjoying in the background comes from the Tudor Consort and their track Curia Laison, which is protected under a Creative Commons copyright license, which allows use with attribution.